Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kyrens, and this show is brought to you by Blue Deer Design. Today, I'm chatting with two studio owners. They've got one studio based in Nashville, Tennessee, and another one based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'm chatting to Laura and Tori from Circa Design. Originally, both freelancers, they came together to form Circa. And during the show, we chat about how they got their name, starting their own business together, how to run a design studio, and what the lessons they've learned. They share lots of insight into the process and the different stages of it. And we'll also talk about over-delivering and why it can actually harm your business. I really enjoy chatting to these guys because I'm trying to do what they're doing. So constantly talking to people like them it's helping me improve and hopefully it helps you improve i really hope you enjoy this show this is my chat with tori and laura from circuit design well welcome to the podcast thank you thanks for having us can we talk a bit more about who you are and your background and, and where you're from and- okay i'll get us started so i am tori thomas and i'm co-founder and creative director at circuit design and then laura who's here as well is the other co-founder hi i'm laura <laughs> Circa is a graphic design and branding studio. We help good ideas grow. We work with like all different size clients from a single entrepreneur working out of their basement to like a Fortune 100 company. Um, and our real like specialty is meeting a client where they're at and then helping them grow to that next level. So through strategic design or like foundational branding. And yeah, and we started in 2015. Laura and I had worked together for about six years prior to that, doing freelance, like just like a vast array of projects. And we decided in 2015 that it was, we were better together. It just made more sense for us to form one entity instead of being two separate freelancers. Cool. How did you know you were a, fit, a good fit? That is a great question. Okay, I, will, I might start seeing this and then Laura can jump in. So I think when I first um, moved to Nashville, we started in Nashville, Tennessee, I got connected to Laura actually through um, a babysitting job. So I was babysitting for someone and then they recommended me contact Laura because of her design background. And Laura, so I had just graduated from college and I was looking, it was the um, like bottom point of the recession. So there was not a lot of opportunity. In Laura's background, she worked at an awesome agency in New York, and then she went on to be a design director at Chronicle Books, and she just, like, had an incredible portfolio, like, worked on some really awesome projects. So it was so great to have that exposure, and then I got to start doing freelance projects with her, and what I loved most was I could see how she structured kind of her life and business. So she had, I think, just had a baby. Yeah, I think Thornton was a Yeah, yeah. So that's who I was babysitting for. And, uh, and she was working on the house, but she had structured her freelance business. It was out of her basement. But, it, I mean, she had, like, a pretty awesome studio. It was, like, dream studio with an awesome bookshelf and, like, workspace. And, and it was just, it was really inspirational for me to see her kind of balancing a lot of things, but doing them all really well, or from what I could see, I think more, <laughs> but I have a different perspective. So that's, I think, what I saw that I knew Laura, like she had great quality work, but also a really consistent balance in her life. And that was really important to me. Awesome. I was at a point where I couldn't handle all the work that I had. And I saw Tori's, the level of creativity she brought to the projects just was 
was wonderful and brought such a, a new new life to the work that I was doing. Um, and so the idea of partnering with her and taking taking what we'd already each built individually to the next level was exciting because we we work well together and we had similar our, our values aligned. We had similar values, which we can talk about in a minute. But um, but it just it seemed right and it. And we jumped into it, and one, well, one of the most valuable things in growing growing our studio, and we do we 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 call ourselves a studio. We really aren't an agency; it's more of a a small studio um, mm-hmm. that we have struggled with. What that is is it a creative studio, is it a design studio? But um, one of the things that really helped us helped us was figuring out the cost of doing business, which isn't always what freelancers know. You know, as a freelancer, it was just one person, but when we became more than one person, what was that cost of doing business? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, as we've grown, communication has changed. So when it was just like Laura and I, there were different needs and different, you know, we could communicate on one level and with clients, we have like really direct communication. And so there, it was a lot, and maybe in some ways easier. And then as we grew more team members and then now we have two locations so we've just realized like communication is a big it's a big growing um like we're just like constantly exploring how to do it better because that's where i think the majority of our issues come from either with like clients or in between teams and with each other and and i think that that's a big struggle as you grow is it's not just about designing great work for clients. It's about making sure that we're on the same page and that everyone on the team is on the same page and that we're communicating really clearly. And even like that partnership, Laura and I, that's something that we're always working on is how we communicate together and how we make sure. Yes. Now that we're in two different cities, which um, we are in two different cities, managing two different studios. And so communication and how we communicate, how we document that communication, how we, act on that communication has been a really important part of the growth of our business. Mm-hmm. What, what, was, like, what have you learned from that, from, from having to do two studios and, and have the struggle with communication? Is there any tips you could give for, for better communication skills? Um, I have, so I think one thing that's been great, so like the learning process, it's really confirmed. Like we can't, I think before you kind of get away with, not addressing some issues because some of them would kind of go away and and it's almost easier to just keep moving forward but now it's like we have to address them like our business depends on it so that actually i think has been a really a benefit um and and i think the way we address it which i'm gonna let laura talk about our process we have like a very we have a, a process that we're always trying to find like the scale of flexibility within it because the uh, disadvantage of growing and creating more processes and structure is that you lose some of that flexibility and that flexibility is really like what makes us who we are. So yeah, uh, the processes I think have been one of the key things for our communication. And then we also have tools, which I think it would be fun to share that, but I think, yeah. Tools and technology. That's one thing Tori brought to the table that, that pushed our business in a way that we could communicate through two different studios and multiple people on the team. Um, and I think that those, that technology was a big piece of, of learning how to grow. 
but I can jump in and talk about our process a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. So we we've kind of we've kind of broken it down into five five phases: um, define, explore, iterate, implement, and evaluate. Um, and that that helps us focus what's happening and what the designer is doing in house, but then also what we're communicating to the client. But the flexibility within each of those phases, you know, some clients we need to do a lot, a lot more in the define phase because we need to do more research and market analysis and user user expectation. Um, and then other clients where the where the explore phase is really important because they're wanting to see they they haven't honed in on exactly who they are yet and we're a part of helping explore helping them explore that. And one of one of the things. Flexibility is an important part of the way we work with our clients because when a client comes to us, they may not know what, they, they may need to go down a path before they can determine really where they need to be. So we try not to put them in a bucket. We try to work with them and, and go down that path with them. And exploration is important. We want to work within that define, that initial divine phase to really figure out where they need to go before we spend a lot of their time and budget yeah. in the explore phase. What, what's sort it? of roundabout way of telling it. Yeah. Um, what, what, what were some questions you asked? Because I've got a client meeting tomorrow, uh, and it's a brand new potential client, and I want to talk to them about you know, what routes they could go down, uh, like you're saying. I'm not, sure, not really sure what questions I should ask. One of the things, somebody told me this recently, but one of the things I think we do well is to quote a project in phases so that you can, you know, maybe it's the discovery phase is like our define and initial ex exploration. Right. And that that's a chunk of time and chunk of their budget. And then we go on to the next phase to figure out what, what else to address. Are we going to immediately address the website or, or digital needs? Are we going to immediately address something else? Yeah. And questions, I think asking where they're at, like one of the things I think we started asking that we didn't necessarily ask at first was like where their business is at. So are they a startup? Are they a growing business or are they established? Like those three things we kind of realized startup, you want to allow for a lot of room for change because they don't necessarily, you know, they're, they're still kind of figuring out who their audience is, really like what they're doing, whereas maybe a growing business is probably outside of the startup phase, but there's still a lot up for change, but they they probably do, they probably are making revenue, so they have money to spend, they still want to spend it well. They will know their goal and their audience a little bit better when they're in that second phase. And then the third, when a business is really established, they should have a really good idea of who they are. Um, and it's, so just understanding where a business is at, helps a ton because then you'll also know you can kind of recommend if you hear that they're what they're talking about sounds like something that would be better for a business that's much more established you can kind of speak to that and help maybe direct them back to maybe it's best for us just to start with a simple logo with a brand and like a squarespace site rather than build out this whole yeah, system yeah. yeah okay yeah that's cool how do you get information out of them that's going to be used in the final outcome? We we always have this document that we've been over before, and sometimes it's okay. kind of helpful because they can fill it out. And it has it really has a three parts. So one part is all about their business. We try we try to make it as condensed as possible, but it's still I think like three pages because we don't want to be annoying, but we yeah. want to get 
We've realized if you don't ask enough questions, then you don't get enough information. Mission, I think, is a big deal. I think some businesses think a lot about it. Other businesses don't think quite as much about it. But it's really good to understand why they exist and and then work within that because the brand will be really tied to that. So I would say mission. Um, industry is another one. Like understanding what a business industry is is really important because then like it's every industry has like its own nuances. So that's important. Their audiences within their who their audience is within that and really exploring that you know because there's typically different levels of an audience like the person mm-hmm. who might purchase the if it's a product purchase the product and then who might actually use the product. Right. So there's you and there's some clients where we go into depth with that and there's other clients where we are simply reflecting back to the client so that so that everything that's done is within that framework. Um, but that's that's a place where we can we can get be more involved or we can be less involved depending on the needs of the client and how far along they are if they have if if that's a stage in their business where they really need to be coming in on that for sales funnels and for um, marketing initiatives. Um, with, with clients and getting clients, a lot of youngsters um, podcasts are listened to by a lot of youngsters that are starting out in the design world, so it's. Uh, with, with that and getting clients is one of the main things that a lot of people struggle with. Are you, are you guys pretty lucky with people coming to you or would you go out there and try and track clients and people you want to work with? I think that was one of the things we were really lucky in our partnership. We both had almost too big a network to yeah. be, to manage on our own. So coming together, we were able to able to combine forces and then grow grow a team that could help facilitate that. But now that we're at a certain size, or, you know, for the first two or three years, it was everything was referral-based. Wouldn't you say it's so, Tori? And, um, yeah, everything, I mean, I think that was one of the helpful things is our clients all came from people we had already worked with or um, people that they had referred. And so I think the best advice is whatever work you do have, whatever client you do have, making sure that they're happy and, like, do And we still, I think that's still how we operate is, like, we really, you know, will do whatever it takes so that someone feels like it was valuable to work with us. And sometimes that makes us realize it might not be the perfect client for us, but it does. I think I would say the majority of people who've worked with us walk away and would recommend us again. And if there's a situation that wasn't good, we just try to do everything in our power to make it so that it like ends well. And sometimes it's not a good fit and that's totally fine. You, one of the things I think you guys wanted to talk about was over-delivering. Is that right? That's Heidi mentioned yeah. that. So, so what is it? What is it? Because I, I read that when Heidi emailed it over about over-delivering mm-hmm. and how it can be bad for your company. That's like, a lot of people would think the opposite of that. So what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's, um, so actually, Laura, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Yeah. Well, I can start. I think, um, I think when we were talking about over-delivering, it really intentional design which is one of our values and providing value in design in the design that we give so i think they're one of the mistakes that a lot of designers um make is spending too much time in that design exploration when they haven't taken the time to really focus the project and then they end up running through their entire budget or they go over in costs so i think really sticking to our form our formula of our process where we clearly define the needs then we jump into the exploration and then the implementation and iteration. Um, 
helps us get, give our clients good value. One, one of the things that when we talk about our business and providing value, one of the things I think we run into is that sometimes value can be misinterpreted as cheap. Right. And that's definitely not what we want to be one to come across as, but I think we do provide because we're intentional with, with our clients' budgets and, and their needs, we do provide good value and we can work within leaner budgets because of that. And usually that means that there's more money for a client to spend on something else with us. Hopefully that's, that's the intent. I think that over delivering is something Laura and I, we realize that it's just, it's a big temptation um, and a lot of times, you know, because you want to do great work yeah. and like what I just mentioned is like a great way to have more clients is to make your current clients happy. You can still make clients happy by like clearly communicating goals and valuing your own time so that you're not spending, um, they're not really like abusing your work. And I think sometimes that happens when there's not like clearly defined goals or um, or expectations. and it's just like a matter of honestly valuing your client's time and then valuing your own time. And most often when you get it right, you can deliver the right amount. You have a very happy client and then you're happy because you've been paid what you're worth. Is there sort of a, is there a line where it becomes too much or you're delivering? Oh, definitely. And I, I think that that's, I think money is like the way it's a good metric, right? right. It's not like, it's not a great goal. I think there are other things that are, better goals than just money, but it's a good way of determining, are you being, are you over delivering? Are you under delivering? Like if you walk away with way more than what your client was able to get out of, you know, the deal, that's probably not right. But if you walk away where you're spending endless nights and you're not being paid, that's not right either. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we track, so like tools that we use, we love Harvest. It's like a time tracking okay. system. It's actually more set up for freelancers. We kind of made it work for our studios because we like it so much. Like it's so easy to use, but it tracks every every second of our time so that we can look and say like, is this valuable? Like, are we, are is this a valuable arrangement or is this um, something where we're over delivering and not being compensated? And a lot of times that, that happens too. It's like, it's just, it's not a good arrangement and it doesn't actually value the client. And the client's really getting the value. They're, they're willing to pay for it. So yeah, Harvest is great because you can look at the actual numbers, see how much your time is worth and make sure that you're not over delivering. Mm. Project management, like we we're very efficient in the way we manage our projects. And that is another relevant and effective tool that we use to create value. We use Asana as the project management tool we, we, we use, the application that we use. It helps us keep, keep our team on task and easily easily divide the, the tasks at hand and get them done in a timely manner. That's two cool um, websites and stuff I need to check out, actually. So I, I yeah, I, I heard of those. That's really good. Cool. Yeah, and I think it's helpful. We don't we use it really more internally, but I think you could use it with client work, being like an independent freelancer, um, especially if you end up with more, you know, like say like a client that has lots of different projects and tasks and needs you to be kind of on hand. It's a great organization, mm. an organizational tool. Because you're talking about value and clients, value and design. Uh, another thing I've struggled with is finding the clients that devalue that design. It, there's definitely a, a level where you, you get clients that just don't understand it and just don't want to pay for it. And then above that, then there's clients that start to understand it, start to recognize that it's actually important. Um, mm -hmm. 
how, how do I, I don't know if you guys will be able to help, but how do I aim myself towards those people that actually care about it? Um, I'm going to say, I think you're starting off the right way because like your portfolio, I think what you put online showcases like really great design, what you care. And I think that that's one way of doing it. It's making sure that you're showcasing design that you are proud of and that you would like more of. So yeah, a lot of our clients, I think, would first value business and then design to them. It kind of falls under probably like marketing. And so I, um, I, you know, obviously Laura and I think design is very valuable, but it should be beneficial to their business. So what we've learned is kind of over time when someone trusts us more and more, they give, they take more of our feedback. So we always try to advise them the way we think they should go, but we're also very flexible, very collaborative. So we do listen. So when you hear them saying, no, I want to do it this way, we don't necessarily agree. There's a, a give and take. Like at the end of the day, it is their business. They do know what we don't know, but you still want, like, it's, I think, a progress or a process. You just kind of still want to communicate, like, or next time we could try this. And if they say no, you do, you still do what they want so you're meeting their expectations but keep pushing it however however far you can yeah. and another thing is just not to devalue your own work because it's always especially as you're getting started there's tons of opportunities to do free work um and yeah. i think we've always tried to find some sort of buy-in for the client whether um whether it is a small fee if, if it is a pro bono piece or some, something that makes them accountable to the budget they've set out so that they do go through the process with us because that is one of like an unsuccessful project to me is when a client doesn't collaborate with us and we don't get the right kind of feedback to push us and push us in the right direction. Yeah, and with, with proponent work, it's it's horrible because a lot of uh, younger people obviously want to do it to build up their portfolio. A lot of agencies, a lot of agencies do do it as well. Like if they want to get a bigger projects, like and there's loads of agencies competing for that. Yes, it against other people in studio other studios. Um, but then there's other studios that don't want to do it at all. This is really, this is really mm -hmm. interesting how it's really split. What, what do you guys do? We try to we try to align whatever we're doing on a pro bono basis with one of our values, something that will that will help grow our team. Whether it's um, a new technique or a new application we want to learn or a new area we want to get involved in, usually usually that's the way we we yeah. justify doing pro bono work. Mm -hmm. So some way it will benefit you guys. Yeah. yeah. That's the way it should yeah. be. Yeah. I think that that's like the one exception when we're talking about like over-delivering and value. It's like when you're in a learning period or you haven't really, you know, you don't know how much your design is really worth because yeah. you're still figuring it out. That's probably the one area that it's like you can do more trials and maybe charge less. I, I think it's very... We would probably not recommend doing anything for free unless you are very passionate about what it is. So, like, I would say we don't do work for a business for free, but occasionally we'll do work for a nonprofit for free when it's someone, yeah, like what Laura mentioned, really aligns with our values, yeah. is local, and we know that the need is there and we want. So it doesn't feel, we're not giving, we feel like a partner in it. Yeah, that, that was... I can't remember who it was. There was a big designer who said, "Don't work for cheap. Either work for free or really expensive." I can't remember yeah, who it yeah. was, but, but that's that's it sort of sounds a bit counterintuitive as well, though, because 
you were saying they work for free unless it's a non-profit or, or something, something you really care about, then every time there's charged for it, even if it's a little amount, it's hard mm-hmm. to know where to go. Um, yeah. And not trying to cheapen the industry too much, but it's tricky on getting that price. It's such a psychological experience. Like you have to really understand who they are and what they want and yeah. then interpret that. So I feel like every client is a little bit different just there, but mm-hmm. knowing what, what the right avenue to take is. Yeah, yeah. I meant to mention the, the question about budget and asking about the money. It's, uh, that's the hell bit for me as well. You don't want to bring up too early because you might put them off. Normally, that's their first question, and you, you've already. So you want to sort of ask what's your budget before they ask how much do you charge, and mm-hmm. uh, it's for like a showdown. So try, try both shoot first. It is, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. I do think learning to talk about budgets as early as you know, getting better and better at that yeah. really helps. Um, and I think that's something Laura and I have also improved on is we knowing our numbers. So like the tool like Harvest, really understanding how much our time is worth makes it so that we can have those conversations very early on. But I've also had advice that you want to get to the no as quick as possible. So you want to know if someone is asking you to do like a $50 logo, you probably want to say no sooner rather than go through the whole process of, you know, brand questionnaires and then get to the point where they're like, oh, I thought this was going to cost $50. Yeah. Like, no. Um, so, so I think budget can be a good question for that. And it, I think one of the things that really helped us out is we have really, we, we have a base amount that we don't drop below. And that's because we've just realized that by the time we do the invoicing and even if it's just one edit, you know, it's not worth it. It just ends up not being valuable for us. And then it doesn't really feel like it's valuable to the client. So that actually helps because then what happens is we have that base amount. And so we say like, oh, we're happy to do that. But, you know, you're going to have to pay this. So you might as well do you know, however much. Yeah. So my, I think that that helped our business when we were really starting off. And now it's not quite as applicable because we have less people coming to us for like, very small and we do we know what our tiers are too so we know our costs which has helped tremendously but then then we kind of can tier like if it was a branding or a logo project we have different tiers of that that we can then kind of interpret through the initial conversations with the client figure out which of those tiers they might fit into and some of it is doing our our research figuring out what kind of company they are what kind of revenue are they bringing in and is a you know a $500 $500 project or is it a $50,000 project? You know, like it can mean, it can be go in so many different directions. And we've always stuck to, I think for better or for worse, we've kind of stuck to what we know our cost is and we know the mark, you know, with the margin that we want to make. And we've lost jobs because we have been too cheap. Um, our, our, our estimate was too low. And for us, it, it seemed plenty high or even, you know, profitable and, would have been a great project for our, our team to work on, but but the client saw it as so much less than what everybody else quoted that it obviously to them must have been a less valuable project. And then we also and we lo- we lost projects because we're too expensive too. So you just really knowing your client is important. Mm-hmm. And even though it is an analysis that that is hit or miss that you may get right or you may get wrong. I think we're getting better. The more and more that we do, the more we're getting better at, at really, really reading our time and what they need. It comes, always comes down to, it always comes with time. 
I think that's what I'm learning from doing this podcast with so many people. Maybe that's pretty much everyone's bit of advice. As soon as you get a bit of time under your belt, you'll be all right and you'll understand it a bit more. I was thinking, I think I'd rather lose a client to being too cheap than being too expensive. That means they value design, that means they understand. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, anyway, so another thing that you guys mentioned in the emails was uh, an interesting statistic was 51% of people aren't engaged at their job. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you guys know about that, but uh, Heidi messaged that over. And um, 51% of people aren't engaged in their job, and that's why they're starting their own businesses and, and getting out there. So uh, does that do for the design industry? Because obviously it opens up a load of people that need a, need a logo and need identities. Um, mm-hmm. And how, how does that talking point back to design? We do work with a lot of small businesses. I think we, um, we want to be the person, we want to have a product that we can sell to anybody from the startup passion project to the Fortune 100 company, so so we want to be able to to have a product for both both ends of that spectrum. The lack, I, I think, the lack of the lack of ownership over over projects is something that keeps people or keeps people from being engaged in their jobs. The other key, another thing we were thinking about was like the distraction. Distraction potentially keeps people from being engaged in their jobs. Yeah, I think the ownership. Yeah, no doubt. I think what Laura said um, is exactly right. Like ownership is one thing that with us, we really have tried to create a studio. Like that's probably one of the reasons why we love having Circa. But then we also want everyone on our team to really have that ownership. So really to own their projects and then that quiet communication, like understand what the client needs, but also help be part of that solution. I think sometimes the structure of businesses limit people rather than help them like grow. And that was a big thing that we found in the difference between college and, and graduating and being in the workplace. It's like you have to take a lot more initiative to get those learning opportunities it's not necessarily like you're encouraged to grow in every environment. And it's a, we really value that. I think like for us, I would actually love the alternative for anyone who works with us to be that they could go off and do their own business, but they would rather be with us. Like I don't want it ever to be something where someone's so limited, you know, that they're stuck with us because then we're kind of stuck with them. Like it's a better scenario if they're like, well, you got to pay me what I'm worth or else I'm leaving to go build my own. And, and, and Laura and I actually mean thinking about like building your own business. That was something that we were aware of, like what we're doing pretty much anyone can kind of go off and do. So it's the benefit to us was we want to build a business that people want to stay with. So all I can say, yeah. We've spent a lot of time kind of create working on creating our culture. And we've handed a lot of that off to our employees to really to create some ownership over what circuit is and how how they feel about being in the job. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that we do do differently is we have um, a learning program within our within our hierarchy or our structure of our business, which is called a fellowship program. And it is it's kind of like an internship program, but it is it's focused on recent grads or people who have some experience that don't have professional experience yet. And so it's bringing them in as a part of our team. So they get the experience of being a real life experience, not just, you know, making copies and, and bringing coffee to people, but really being 
one of the team members communicating with clients, learning under the creative directly under the creative director and design lead. So it's a really great experience, um, not only for those those candidates, but also for our team who they get they get this great experience of training young designers, which normally a a, a young designer or an entry level designer would not have that experience managing and training a young designer, another designer. Yeah, absolutely. So with the ownership stuff, uh, do you guys let obviously let designers communicate with clients? Do you have account managers as well? Oh no, yeah. that's actually yeah. What a so our what, how we structured our business is we don't want middle management. You know, we really want people to be. And this is it's interesting because it's actually kind of we as we grow we realize you know account management is a lot of work, especially as we get more and more accounts. It, it's hard to keep track of everything, and it is so important. Like a great design is important, but if it comes late and the client's not happy, you know, that makes a big, they'll remember it being late, not that it was great, you know? So we, it's been, it's definitely a challenge not having that layer, but we think it's better. Like it's how Laura and I work. We think that our team is really capable, capable of that. Um, They just need, some of it is experience. Like we realize that it's a learning process. Like Design is one learning process, and then client communication, account management is another. Yeah. Um, but but it's been and it's been good. Like I think we still feel really confident with what that decision of not having that layer because I think that just adds it adds to overhead and then it also yeah. adds to um, communication barriers. I think we're in the right side. Like if we grew much bigger, we probably would have to address that. But it has been really important that everybody that works within Circa has some sort of design design angle, whether they're specifically a designer or a writer that can see in a design, you know, see in an experience, design and user experience way. Um, but they also all get to interface with the clients. So they're they're working as project managers and designers. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a better way of doing it. I've worked in a couple of agencies as an intern and I've seen two different, both sides of the story. And uh, I, from what I can see so far, it's a bit more direct, a bit more personal. It's it's much mm-hmm. better to have direct contact with the client rather than account managers because it's, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, like you were saying, if you get really big, Instagram big, then it might be useful to get to get people managing and finding out where things are and keeping on top of it. But. And I think our designers, they, they know more about what the client wants because there's no miscommunication Absolutely, or no, yeah. you know, no, nothing gets missed in translation. Yeah. I think that that means that they can do a better job of designing, designing. Also, mm-hmm. the having account managers on your back as well. You don't want right. an account manager on your back as well as the client. So, it's, yeah, I think it's much better. Is there anything else you want to add about the process bit before we move on, or anything else you want to talk about about Circle? Um, yeah, the process. You know, it's been we really we love our process. It works really well, but we've also found that it's. Like, it's really a guide. It's not, you can't stick to it so rigidly that you don't have flexibility. So our concept is really, you should never, if you're in Define and you move to Explore, you should only have to move back to Define. You shouldn't have to, you shouldn't be an iterate realizing that you didn't define it well. Right, right. So that's really one of the things, like, we we do end up going 
back and forth, probably more than we'd always than we than we would like to. But um, I think it's just the nature of projects being so different, clients being so different, that it's just a good realization that if you've already moved to explore, it's always okay to go back. But you just want to make sure that you put kind of checks and balances in place that you don't move all the way to the end and realize that you didn't define the problem correctly. So under the is it five stages again? Um, define, explore, yeah. iterate, implement, evaluate. We kind of talked about define and explore a lot. Iterate is like taking those explorations and really refining them. So what we found is it's a temptation in designers, like in us, and being more prone to per- perfection, it can be tempting to really want to like take and iterate before it's really been approved by a client. Yeah, yeah. It's also like the process is defined for always to have like an internal evaluation and an external evaluation. So you're, or it's our internal review and external review. So you're reviewing as a team and then you're reviewing with clients before we go to that next phase of the project. So there's that kind of a check and balance. Um, and then, so once you get past explore, which is like more of the research idea phase, then you take that direction and you really refine it. And then again, you do that internal, external check and balance and then implement is really carrying it through. So if it's a brand, then it's delivering all the final logos and assets. If it's a website, it's creating the website and going through the process and making it live. Um, and then that evaluate piece, we actually, it used to be a four-step process. And then we added evaluate last year. It was last year. Yeah. It was trying to stick to that process. Because we realized that we weren't necessarily following up. Like we'd end and then we wouldn't follow up and evaluate. We've realized it's so important because you have to get that feedback from a client. It's a great, so again, when you're kind of started, I mean, it's great for us now. It's also, I wish we had started earlier because I think we would have heard feedback. Like sometimes it's not fun to hear feedback when you, especially when you know that there was probably room for improvement, but it's clients love, like you want to hear it from the client. You want to hear if there was something that could have been better because that's the only way you're going to grow and improve. Um, And you also want to hear if it went really well. Like it's a good opportunity for clients if, if the project was great to get a testimonial to hear like what went well. Um, and then it's really great for our team, like everyone working together just to take a second and stop and look at the project and say like, really what, what went well and what didn't and what could we do better next time? It speaks back to like how we really built our, built our clientele and built all of our clients is because we were, you know, they were referring us to new businesses. Yeah. So we, started growing a little bit faster and we left that step out, we remembered that that was an important part of growing our business and we needed to bring it back in. And with growing businesses, have you got any tips for doing that? Uh, is it just getting referrals and a word of mouth? What's the best way to grow a studio? That is a good question. Um, yeah, we, so us growing to two studios from Nashville to Kalamazoo, it was very interesting because in Nashville, Laura and I both are freelance businesses. We we had a network of clients and that was way more organic. Like right. it was um, us both working there for a number of years and working with people who liked working with us in Kalamazoo. When we opened it here, we didn't have a network. So it's been, I would, I think it's taken a year to get the word out. Um, it's very helpful to have a client that has a lot of needs, like a lot of ongoing design needs, but can just supply you with kind of a steady flow of work. 
Um, just because then you're not one, you're not desperate, and two, um, you have like some stability. So like finding that client with needs, which is tough to do. But I think it's a matter of really like communicating that you're looking for clients, what kind of clients you're looking for, and looking in wherever you're at. Like we like working with local businesses. We like to meet face-to-face. We like working with decision makers. Like that's another big thing is we want to work with either the business owner or a marketing director who has a lot of ownership in their marketing and brand. Like we definitely want to go through multiple layers. Um, So here, I think what's helped is really like when we, we've looked in the community and when we've seen a need for design, like someone didn't have a website, someone didn't have anything, like, or we walked into a restaurant and you could tell, oh, they really could use some updated design. It looks like no one's touched this for like 20 years. Then it's just finding that business owner and reaching out and saying like, I would love to sit down, have ideas. And we, that's actually probably when we give away things is like, I'm always willing to tell someone, like give someone resources. If they can't afford us, I'm happy to say like, go on Squarespace, like just build yourself a website because it will be so beneficial. And that's helped us out a lot because I think then people understand you're not there to just take their money. You're really wanting to help and be a like collaborative partner. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are a lot of times where we share, share our, um, our advice and professional advice, hoping that that would bring them back to us when they're ready to, ready mm-hmm. to. If they can't afford you, don't don't fall down too much in price, and because then they'll when they can afford you, they'll come back to you. I think that's the. Do you have any like final fun uh, advice to people who want to start their own studio, or, or is it just go for it? We were talking about it together, and we had said one of the most important things is know yourself and your limitations. Then second, knowing your clients and who you might be reaching out to. And then third, knowing your employees and what they what their goals are, what their you know their strengths are. And then the last thing, which we've said many times already today is knowing our cost, you know what, knowing the cost of business. Mm-hmm. Those four things are really important. Yeah. And if you're just starting out that, um, the knowing yourself, knowing what you're trying to build, like if your goal is you want to be the best designer, you know, that's one goal and that's a great goal. And it's kind of good to see if, if there's people who've done, who walked where you want to be, like see how they've done it. And that is a slightly different goal than um, we want to spend really quality time when we're working and quality time with our families and quality time on ourselves. So that was important. And I think some people structure their business so that it really is everything. And that's, which is fine, but it's just kind of knowing where you're at and what you want your business. And the experience of going through that process of building our business really helped us understand what our clients are doing. Because really, it's, the same, it's a similar formula when we're figuring out what our goals are. That's also something that we sit down with our clients, really understand what their goals are before we proceed through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, one, going back to the process sort of thing, uh, I thought of another question. Um, we're, we're always encouraged to sort of guide them through it and, and talk through the steps and have a hold in hand. Um, and calling people clients can obviously a lot of designers just go out and do it and then we come back to them and realize the clients don't like it so it's important to obviously take them through it and make sure we're going in the right direction the whole time um, but how often are you emailing them and how, how are you used to take, walking them through it uh, that also depends on the client right, <laughs> so we, yeah. have, we have certain clients that we probably email every day 
And those can be the clients that have tons of needs and they're all, it's very sporadic. It's almost, we describe it as like, we're almost their in-house design team. So they don't have an in-house design team and we're doing all the little nuanced design needs. So like updates to the website, you know, t-shirt designs, posters, like invitations, whatever they need. For, so that, it, it, we have to be communicating every day. Um, and then I think the structure that we found that we try to stick with that keeps work, I think it is clients get very frustrated if you go silent. And that was actually something that Laura really taught me when I was freelancing was like, you have to stay communicating. So even if you know something's coming late, you need to let them know and try to anticipate it so that you're not telling them a day late or, you know, the day it's due, like, try to say something, you know, it's like, I need more time. And a lot of times they're totally fine with that. Um, we try to do 10 business days, like the first deliverable within 10 business days. And then we really do try to stay in touch every five business days. Like that seems like a good way of just like keeping on track and not letting something, because the longer something sits, the less. <laughs> what happens if uh, a client goes silent on you? So I, I, I do oh, know people. That yeah. That does happen. And that, that can be intimidating. And I think yeah. that's when, when you just have to use your good, asking good questions and, and trying to stay professional and, and walk through that with them as well. The other thing that I think has helped us is that we started when we do a flat rate project, we do tie it to a timeline now. And and that it's what I would say is it actually is rare that we would actually, you know, we're we want to finish well, we want to finish the project, but we just realized we can do flat rate unless it takes a year to finish a project that should have been done in a month. And which happens because I think there's busy busy people or it, it especially happens when it's someone's side job, you know, where yeah. they're building it, but they have another full-time job. So that, I think the moment money is in question, people do respond. So that's actually been very helpful um, to say, you know, we're going to do this in four weeks. So, or we're going to do this in eight weeks. And then when we reach eight weeks and we aren't hearing back, we say, okay, we, we have to send the invoice unless we hear feedback. And then we usually hear feedback. And that helps internally too, because that gives our team a, a framework to work within so that they yeah. don't totally over deliver and over over explore. Yeah, absolutely. Last two questions I want to ask I ask you to. First of all, is your, what's your best purchase under $100? I, I'll start. I heard you, I was listening to your previous podcast, if I remember you asked this uh, question. Okay. And we have a client, uh, Blair Morris, who has the oil jar. And I love, I have this like little. It's like a inhaler and it's called Focus and it's in my backpack. And I mean, I don't even know how much it costs and I am obsessed with it because it makes my, like everything business smell really good. And then I can pull it out and like, I guess like sniff it whenever I'm feeling unfocused and it just smells great. And I feel like it works really well. So I think that is my favorite purchase under a hundred dollars nice. right now. What's that? Oh, the oil jar? Yeah, oil jar. Right. The oil. Okay. <laughs> Highly nice. recommend it. Oh, what about you? What about me? Yeah. Oh, best purchase <laughs> under $100. Lately, I think it has more to do with being a mom than, than being a designer because it's anything that keeps my kids focused and entertained. Whether I think probably like a football or something like that. 
I'll have to think. I'll have to come back to you about a good design a design focus purchase under a hundred dollars. No, it doesn't have to be design. There's no rules to that question. Yeah, we've had uh, some interesting ones. We've got some backpacks, or one of my favorite ones has been like plane tickets and, and plane tickets to events or, or going oh, to places. Wish I could buy a plane ticket for a hundred dollars. That yeah. would make my life much more exciting. Yeah, I must admit, I didn't. I, I was thinking, how can you buy a plane ticket for under hundred dollars? Uh, it's quite quite cheap. You can get a one way ticket. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, how do you two want to be remembered, and how do you want the design studios to be remembered? Um. So, uh, sorry, I'm starting off again. This is funny when Laura and I were talking about our goals. I think this is like our original kind of when we form the partnership and then we sat down and be like, okay, who do we want to be? What a cool women, like two fellows. And now we're a team of, I think, 16. So it's like, yeah. So it's just, it's funny because we're not even five years. And it's funny to think about that. And then when we thought of 10 years, all we could come up with was, we just want to be here. So we just want to be a sustainable circuit. Like it would be nice for circuit to still be around in 10 years. And I think that that's, Honestly, when I think about it, I'm like, I, I do for Circa, I want Circa to still, to be bigger than just Laura and I. I want it to be um, sustaining, and I want it to give what Laura and I have gotten out of it, where it is, I think, I love doing Circa more. I Honestly, I'm, I wasn't well-suited for freelance because I like working with people, and so I want it to be that for our clients and to be that for our employees where it's better, they all feel like they're better because they were part of it. I think one of the things that I'm most excited about what we built with Circa is this fellowship program and really looking at where all of these people have gone on to grow their own careers. I think that that is some sort of legacy, the legacy of Circa too, is, is what we've, the people we've been involved with and we've in the early stages. Brilliant. Good answers. Um, yeah, thanks very much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. This okay. is awesome. Where people find you to say hello and, and message you and say hi? Well, our website is circa.design, no.com.design, so www.circa.design. And Instagram is our most active social media, um, and that's circa.design. Nice. Mm -hmm. So built design is good as well. I like that because it's. A lot of studios uh, just found that out, and it's, it's cool that they brought that out. Um, wicked. Right. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. I really, really appreciate it if you haven't made it this far. I'm sorry about some of the technical difficulties in the video and audio. Um, we had real problems with my iMac, and it's all sorted now. Uh, we're going to get back on to proper quality audio. But I think even, even if the quality wasn't that good, this podcast had so much value in it, so many lessons. I learned so much talking to these guys about growing a business, growing a design studio. I hope you did too. If you did, why not feel free to share the podcast on social media, tag Blue Day Design and that Creative Waffle, and we'll repost it and say hello. So for now, thank you very much, and I'll see you in the next episode.